Untitled Beatles podcast. So if you're going to talk about Andrew Dice Clay, you can count me out in. (laughs) (laughs) It's right. I'm equivocating like John in Revolution. Well, welcome to the Untitled Beatles podcast. Once again, I'm Tony Mendoza. And I'm TJ Shanoff, and it's great to be back, Tony, uh, for a great time to be an American. And I'm proud to be an American where at least I know I'm free. Blow it! That's what people say when they see a recorder. That's a standard recorder chant. It's true. Well, welcome. We are taping this before we know the results of the election. This is a. We're in October over here. So. Greetings from the past, <laughs> and we, we may not know the the results by the time this airs either, um, the Saturday after Election Day. So I hope everyone's doing well. I hope everyone is staying safe. I hope everyone's staying calm and all that shit. I, I don't mean to rub it in, but late <laughs> October is way better than you idiots listening in early November. The chaos going on right now, you would fucking kill for October 25th or whatever today is. Right. It sounds like a Revolution 9 out there is <laughs> what I hear. There's a lot of people going, oh, hold that line or whatever. <laughs> or they listen to Toto's Hold the Line. <laughs> Ooh, minor key. I, I couldn't, I don't even think it's right. I don't know how to play a lot of Toto. That's not true. You got to work on your triplets. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, my. If, if that bothered you, imagine how I feel. Imagine the imagine. sadness inside. Well, we thought... <laughs> imagine Toto 4 didn't win the Grammy. It should have gone to Marshall, Crenshaw, Marshall Crenshaw's self-titled LP. Where are you with Marshall Crenshaw? He was an original Beatle, Beatlemania guy. Oh, he was in Beetle. Cares? He's in Beetlemania. I, did, I don't think I knew that one. He he was like part of the second or third cast, I think, or he might have done it like in Boston or something. But yeah, he was John. Do you have any thoughts on Marshall Crenshaw? No, none. I I, <laughs> I, I seriously, I like. To me, you might as well say Marshall Tucker. <laughs> Same thing to All me. Right. But I know it's not. If you if you ask for it, <laughs> no. You've got the recorder. You play it. <laughs> I was briefly the idiot who argued that the Marshall Tucker band was better than the Allman Brothers. So that shows you <laughs> Allman Brothers didn't have a flute. No. So it, I'm a huge Marshall Crenshaw fan, by the way. Someday, Someway is my, one of my favorite non-Beatles songs. He wrote it for Robert Gordon. Robert Gordon was making a, an 80s comeback. Uh the uh, surf, surf rock guitar player, Robert Gordon. Oh. And uh, Marshall Crenshaw wrote Someday, Someway for him, and then he had a huge hit with it. But MTV kind of killed him because he was this Buddy Holly-looking guy, and then you blink and it's Duran Duran and, and Thriller and all that stuff. So, But yeah, I'm a Marshall Crenshaw apologist. And I, <laughs> even in the pandemic, we still have, we have group meetings <laughs> and I'm going to be okay. <laughs> but today we're talking the Beatles and politics. We're recording this before the election. We are aware that the election has already occurred. God willing, there's still a world as you're listening to this. But the Beatles were inherently political. We've talked about it on the show before. 
Yeah. The Beatles' survivors are political. Uh, a couple years ago, Danny Harrison, I think, sued the Trump uh, campaign for using Here Comes the Sun at a rally when he was running, I think, in 2015 or early 2016. Oh, wow. So I didn't know that. The Beatles and their survivors uh, happen to be, I realize they're not American, but they happen to be liberal and progressive. And that's caused undue consternation with me on Beatles message boards who are like, hey, uh, Paul McCartney, stick the music. You f- Do you understand anything about the Beatles? So, And people write that. That kind of stuff, of but rather than get super political on this show, we're going to talk about the Beatles both together and apart and the political music they made. It's true. It's true. Do you want to get right into that, TJ? Or did you want to touch on that John Lennon uh, box set that uh, just came out? Is it a box set? Yeah, Sorry. I think you should. It's it's available in like nine different forms. Oh, also breaking Beatles news. You alerted me. I, I don't even know if I sent you a thank you for this, Tony, but you alerted me while I was apple picking in Richmond, Virginia. Wow, apple picking. Not a euphemism. <laughs> um, we were, so I picked some apples. <laughs> and um, uh, McCar- about the McCartney 3 album, and I managed to order for no apparent reason the Coca-Cola... Spotify only pressing of it thanks to your email. So I appreciate you having me spend $38 on a McCartney app. I'll listen to you twice. And then when the deluxe archive edition comes out with the unreleased songs from McCartney 3, I'll buy that too. I think it's limited to 500 copies. So you got a collector's item right there, man. Everything I own is limited to 500 copies. Ooh, the the Ringo Bad Boy 180 gram release on Friday music. I got to buy this. Great. It looks nice on the shelf. So, yes, we, we I wanted to get to when I was on a road trip, I really had my first chance to listen, and I think you did as well, to the Lennon uh, Gimme Some Truth box set that came out uh, in honor of Lennon's 80th that we alluded to on the show, and I think we both heard a little bit of, but not the whole thing. Right. I kind of dismissed it as who needs more remixes, because... In 02 and I think 04 or 05, they remixed under Yoko's supervision the entire Lennon solo catalog. That Walls and Bridges and Rock and Roll to me were definitive. So I'm like, do we really fucking need this? It was a decade ago, 13 years ago. Tony, you need it. It's one of the best sounding Lennon compilations, if not the best I've ever heard. What they've done to these songs is astonishing. I'd never heard, especially the second disc, the... 75, uh, like the kind of rock and roll 74, whatever gets through the night 75 stuff through the 80s comeback before his death and the posthumous milk and honey stuff is the fucking best I've ever heard his music. Yeah, they did a good job. Yeah, they've been cleaning it up. I believe Sean is heavily involved in this uh, process. Uh, You know, they're basically going through all the records and giving them a reworking, a remixing and a remastering and um, yeah, bringing them up to date, you know, while still retaining their original visions. Um, but Sean's actually been pushing them to to take chances with these new mixes. Like if you listen to whatever gets you through the night, you can hear there's a there's a organ gliss that now goes into it that they had taken out the first time. And I also learned you sent me and thank you. By the way, you're welcome for the whole thirty eight dollar uh, Coke bottle. Thank you, McCartney I- three record. My wife is not one of your main fans. How much you spend? Do you need it? Yes, Carrie, I need it. It's got to sit next to the near mint Egypt station traveler set. Ooh, Frank Sinatra's party on vinyl. Great. Collector blues, TJ. (laughs) 
No, but it's cool. It's uh, yeah, I would recommend. I mean, you can also stream it too. Uh, you know, if you just wanted to hear it, obviously it's not going to be, you know, the best quality that way, but you can at least hear the mixes done well. They're great mixes. And oh, I was going to say, thank you for sending me. There is an article you sent me from like a recording magazine. That was an interview with the guys, um, that are, you know, re- remixing it and all that. And, uh, it's really in depth. It's really in detail. They tell you like what kind of plugins they're using. They're telling you what kind of compressors they're using and how they, you know, had to go through analog equipment and how they got all the effects and the little things that they've added to it. Uh, and I was going to say, it sounds like we will have at some point a plastic Ono band, you know, it won't be a 50th, but it'll be like the 51st anniversary or 52nd. Whenever they, they're going to put it out, they're going to put it out. But it sounds like they're doing all the records. So we have that to look forward to. Yeah, it se- it's a great point. It seems in that article like these ultimate mixes are part of a larger campaign to restore his, his entire catalog. And, you know, in 2010, they remastered all the original tapes. Like, this is what's getting tricky as a collector, right? Because you've got the original 80s Lennon CDs that are not great quality. Then you have the um, remixes from the early 2000s. Then you have the 2010 remasters. Now you're going to get another set of these. And yet... You know, Clapton and Elvis Costello and the Stones and a lot of other legacy acts have been doing this since the 80s. I think Elvis Costello had a three remix campaigns by the 90s between Rike Disc and all all that stuff. So it's not that abnormal. The key is, will I keep listening to this? Like, which versions become definitive? The 09 Beatles CD remasters meant I erased the 87 and 88 CDs from my catalog. Now the White Album, Pepper, Abbey Road remixes, do I go back and listen to the original Abbey Road pressing or do I listen to the, the 2019 remix? It's it's a little bit overwhelming in a great <laughs> way, but do, do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. which one, do, why do I listen, need to listen to the remaster when I've got the remix? Yeah, it's turned into the whole, like, you put Netflix on and it takes you 45 minutes to decide what you're going to watch. <laughs> uh, and I'll take the over if you've had an edible beforehand. <laughs> Fuck, should I just watch Cheers again? <laughs> yeah, and then you end up watching something you've already seen. <laughs> right, totally. Well, maybe I'll put on season Every three time. of Curb Your Enthusiasm again. Because I can't fucking decide. <laughs> Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a strange kind of thing for a Beatle fan who has to have everything in terms of what do you listen to, but onto these Lennon things, we don't need to spend the whole show because we have the political stuff, but I did want to say the double fantasy and milk and honey stuff, double fantasy, especially with all due respect to the producer, Jack Douglas produced in 1980, it has always been very thin, whether on the original Geffen vinyl Capital put out a great vinyl pressing of it right as vinyl was going away that I actually prefer to the Geffen pressing. Mm. Um, that 2010 remaster um, uh, vinyl that was also back on Capital. Uh, I have never heard the Double Fantasy songs sound this warm as they do on this set. It's like they removed the 80s from it without changing a thing. They pushed John's vocals up. There's clearly way more low end. And the same applies to the uh, 84 Milk and Honey album.
with all due respect to the double fantasy songs, nobody told me, which is kind of unfinished. It's like the best song of the comeback. It just kills you to think what else would John Lennon have created as he was getting his groove and his mojo back. Yeah. He was going to go out on the road. You know, that would have inspired him. It is it, his. And listen, this ties into our political conversation, Tony, because I've said this many times. I'm anti-gun because John Lennon was murdered when I was six years old. So even the non-political songs, the political moments of the Beatles' careers have shaped who I am. Yeah, I totally get that. Yeah, it would have been great to see. It would have, it would have been great to see what he would have created. But, you know, one man who was deranged had a gun. And there you go. Yep. That's the power of that. So vote, vote, or actually now it's too late. <laughs> I think I think what I to say is move to Canada when they'll take us. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, okay. That brings us to politics uh, and the Beatles. So you had a great idea, TJ, of perhaps categorizing these Beatles songs into maybe three, and this also includes solo material, into three categories. Or scattergories. It's like, let's just play scattergories. <laughs> oh, my God. Game night. Hey. <laughs> oh, no. We got the letter I. Uh-oh. <laughs> Ice. Uh, isotope. Igloo. Uh, fuck. Pass. <laughs> Here are my three categories that, I mean, I did pretty copious pre-show research. I started when we got on our call. Um, my <laughs> categories are legitimately great. I get it is number two, okay. which means it might not be great, but like the thought is right. And zero fabs. Okay. Legitimately great. I get it. And zero. Yeah. Legitimately great. Zero fabs. I get it. And zero fabs. Okay. Well, you want to go in chrono, bro? Yeah, bro. Let's see. Do you want to smoke some chrono? Dude, <laughs> this stuff's great. Uh, my dad grows it and he's been in jail for many years. <laughs> my dad was in Cypress Hill. <laughs> <laughs> my dad totally hiked Cypress Hill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, my dad hiked gear for Cypress Hill. <laughs> Dude, my dad's favorite Peter Gabriel song is Salisbury Hill because he thinks it's too too long. <laughs> no, that means I, I like Peter Gabriel, but I'm not as big on the Peter Gabriel train as no you know, man. Peter but- Gabriel Genesis over Phil Collins Genesis, but like talk about a cold album. That's so album from '86 is cold. It's a cold sounding record. It is. Yeah, his stuff was kind of sleepy to me, but that's me. Hey. Yeah, I, you love, and I'm, I don't mean to burst everyone's bubble here. I know one of Tony's other great influences is iTunes only era U2. <laughs> like, I know your favorite oh, U2. That, that fucking record <laughs> that they forced onto your phone, like assholes. Those cock fuckers. It, 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 it began the Me U2 movement, where U2 forced their music on you. Oh, yeah, that's gold. That's exactly what that is. Hashtag Me U2. Get that album off my phone. <laughs> I didn't ask for this. If you're going to give me you two, how about Joshua Tree or like or Unforgettable <laughs> Fire? Those are good albums. I don't need like the new U2 album just gifted to me. Yeah, man. It's not a gift. No, it's exactly. Now it's just like, oh, great. Now I got to figure out how to take this thing off my phone. And you can't. <laughs> right? it's, it's, it's like it's on your permanent record, this goddamn record. <laughs> Musical malware is what I think the techniques call it. Some Charles Manson stole from the Beatles. We're still in the fight. Well, to me, I think I have their first real political song as uh, with the Beatles being Tax Man. Unless you can find one before that, I can't. No, I, I, I think Taxman's first on my list as well in terms of um, when they first began to get political. And Taxman begins a screed of George Harrison songs, both with and without the Beatles, of kind of fetching 
about taxes, about the record industry, about gossip. Like, there's a lot of George Harrison songs that just, in Jewish parlance, kvetch. <laughs> and Taxman's one of them. And talk about a... Br- but again, the taste and beauty of the Beatles, it starts with the coughing from ostensibly a joint, the kind of weird, dreamy count-in that doesn't yeah. quite sound right. I mean, it's not like... In lesser hands, Taxman's a whole different song with the Beatles' taste and ability to understand what works. It's maybe the be- one of the best openers of any of their records. Yeah, I would definitely consider this one a legitimately great song. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like, yeah, I don't, I never really think of it as a political song. You know, it's not, it's not necessarily a protest song. It's like a personal protest song. Cause they were getting like super taxed at 95%. And, yeah. you know, he calls out Mr. Wilson from the labor party and Mr. Heath, who is the leader of the conservative party. And, you know, this is them griping about money, and you think, like, oh, you're rich millionaires. But you have to remember, they did sign kind of a weird deal early on. You know, they were the first ones to, to achieve this hugeness, uh, other than Elvis, who also got screwed, you know. Um, so Epstein gets 25, Brian Epstein gets 25% of everything. And then after costs, the Fab Four then split up whatever's left of that. And, you know, and then if the government's going to take 95% away of that, you know, I, I'd be pissed too. 95 is a big number. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. The Beatles got absolutely screwed. And George kept getting screwed because of the publishing rights. And he wasn't writing as many songs as John and Paul. So George had a right to complain. I have a right to complain about how George, and we've reviewed this album on Live in Japan, added <laughs> right. Boris Yeltsin Boris and Yeltsin. Mr. Bush. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bush is not a award that lends itself to music, really. No, and, I, and I include the band Mr. with that. Mr. Bush. <laughs> <laughs> was that song they had about goo or whatever? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> That the that, that glycerine, air, glycerine glycerine was it, which was basically yeah. the misfit song skulls, but done like a ballad. Anyway, well, and and <laughs> Mr. Bush sounds like hey, Mr. Bush, how's it been? Right, you know, you yeah. know like it's a, it's a yucky phrase. It's a good song though. I would say yeah, legitimately great, great song. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say this: if we leave one out, I'm very sorry. Um, these are the ones that. I've compiled uh, TJ. I got all you need is love next. It's kind of a political song uh, in that it was, they were asked to write a song for this worldwide satellite thing. And so what's the message you want to put out there? One world. I think it was called. Yes, it was right. One world. Yeah. And so the Beatles were kind of representing the UK, if I recall. And uh, it's not overtly political. It's so it's not, you know, we're not name checking labor party members or whatever, but they're putting a message out there to the world that, you know, what, all you need is love. It's very simple. Well, and up until the album, before the album, Taxman was on, which is Rubber Soul, almost every Beatles song was a love song. I mean, some were introspective. John's, one of the greatest early Beatles songs, John's singing There's a Place, which is kind of a song about depression and bewilderment and where he can go. It's his mind. Um, Yeah. So they were doing more than just love songs, but the crux of every Beatles song pre-Rubber Soul was about love. And All You Need Is Love kind of fairly or not gave the band that label of it. It, gave, it certainly a title, the Cirque du Soleil show love, 
um, because love kind of became the Beatles ethos, kind of tying back to everything that they did and also kind of their corporate identity, which is not a bad thing. I mean, Ringo's whole thing is peace and love. Um, if you peace and love, peace and love. Now, no more, no more <laughs> male, no more fat male. Go fuck yourself yeah. with peace and love. I'm warning you with peace and love, but I have too much to do. So no more fan mail. Thank you, thank you. And no objects to be signed. Nothing. Uh, anyway, peace and love, peace and love. It's such an unfortunate thing. But even Paul saying at the end of Anthology, he's glad that the Beatles are remembered for, you know, for love. So yeah, that song is not a political song, but it also is a testament to the Beatles' ideology. And that's why it's so important and counts on this list, I think. It's their brand. It's their brand, for better or for worse. <laughs> I'm going to say that was legitimately great. Yeah. Oh. They were they were playing it when, at the Candlelight Vigils, so it's a good song. Every Beatles uh, political song is is undeniably great. I have no qualms with any of them. And in fact, I think, uh, oh, I was going to say the next one you're going to mention, but there might be one in between. So what's the next one on your list? Next one I got is Revolution. All of them. Uh, Lennon was inspired by the political protests he saw in 68. Chicago. and And elsewhere, but Chicago was the big one. Hey, have you seen that? I haven't seen it yet. Have you seen that uh, Chicago 7 thing? That's- I, I haven't yet. I've heard it's great, and I've heard um, Borat's great as Abby Hoffman. Borat. I hate when people do that. That's not <laughs> <Borat>. what I meant. <laughs> it's, it's like- I heard Kramer's great in it, too, as Sherry <laughs> Rubin. Kramer is great yelling racial epithets at a, at a comedy club. <laughs> That's what Kramer's... the fuck happened there? Um, but yeah, no, I've heard Sasha Baron Cohen is great. Yeah, well- Right. So, uh, well, so Lenin was inspired by the political protests in 68. He seemed to have a sympathy with the need for social change, but it got him in, in trouble with the left when he did kind of denounce the violent tactics, saying that if you talk about destruction, you can count me out. Count me out. Which, which, is, which is what he says on the electric version, right? Yeah. And on the revolution number one, he kind of doubles back. You can count me out in. Right, right. And he does that in the promo video, too, which is cool because he puts a lot of um, vitriol or he puts he puts some punch into the into it when he says in in the promo video. It's kind of cool. That promo video where they're overdubbing vocals off the existing track is my favorite version of the song. It is hot. And I actually love the up tempo Paul and George Shuby Duas. Oh, yeah. It actually like I get that it's not on the single. I understand that it's not. But in that promo video, in the context of them kind of screaming those harmonies, it's it's a very cool, almost early Beatles moment. Like, I wish more people heard Revolution, the promo video version, because combining the up-tempo uh, 50s backups is effective. got to admit, though, that Paul scream is really strange. At the beginning of the song? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. 
In 68, Paul wanted to tone it down because he knew it would be, be too much for the Nike commercial 20 years later. So, <laughs> By the way, I feel like I have heard like 45 Beatles songs now being used in commercials, and it's not the original versions. It's these like dopey versions. What do you yeah. think of that? Uh, I have never liked it, yeah. and uh, they are using the original Beatles recording, the stereo recording of Help for Google. Showing, um, and it and it kills me a bit. The one cool thing is they show. <laughs> you think they should have used the mono? <laughs> well, I mean, the stereo version does have the better Lennon vocal, Tony. So if we're gonna go into stereo versus mono. They should have used the Ken Thorne James Bond intro. For if you only had, I love that that made its way on copies of the Red Album. Yeah, that that's in the states. If you bought sixty two to sixty six, that's how you heard that's Help. How for I heard it. it until the CDs came out. Me too. Yeah. It's always attached to it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, but Google used it, and they show someone in the record store looking at the Help album, the British Help album. So at least they acknowledge the Beatles connection, but it still kills me when I hear it in a commercial. Yeah. So Revolution, the left found John being toothless at the time. And it's funny because just a couple years later, John was anything but when he was in that experimental early 70s, sometime in New York City phase. Right. You know, John was, uh, politics were a big part, and then they weren't, and then he wanted to speak out about the war. Uh, and Brian Epstein wouldn't let any of the Beatles be political. And John, at the time of Revolution, said, fuck that. And we talked last week. It's one of the reasons that neither Hey Jude nor Revolution are my two favorite Beatles songs, but as a 45, Oh, my God. Just talk about capturing an era and capturing a national mood. The sweetness and encouragement of Paul, the vitriol of John. What a record. Yeah. And then that, of course, leads to Revolution 9. I kind of mentioned that earlier. But uh, the quote, I got a John Lennon quote about that song with regards to the political angle on it. Revolution 9 was an unconscious picture of what I actually think will happen when it happens. Just like a drawing of a revolution. So, yeah, next time you listen to Revolution Number 9, think of right now. Yeah. The, Van, the Van Halen song know. with Sammy Hagar. There's no tomorrow. <laughs> you know, but that video that they made was so uh, important because, you know, all those missing kids were recovered. <laughs> Van Hagar was the early QAnon. <laughs> right. <laughs> I know it's not Van Hagar. Just, uh, just for those of you who are '84 Cubs fans, that's for you. I was uh, also conflating that with the Soul Asylum Runaway Train video, <laughs> so that was that was my stupid joke. Anyway, it's, it's a great joke. '90s and you know videos the, you know, jokes. You know the problem with the Runaway Train? Never come back. It <laughs> ran away in a one-way track. I mean, it's it's true. It's very difficult. No, Dave Perner, he's my Bob Dylan. Uh, <laughs> I keep him. My Bob Dylan is Dave Coulier from Full House, <laughs> so we have a, we have a very similar. Well, um, you ought to know, TJ. You ought to know. You look. <laughs> Just give me Alanis, because I'm here to remind you about the mess you made on the Untitled Beetle podcast. I couldn't even say it right. So yeah, Revolution yeah. Number Nine is. I think we've talked about this before too. Like 
It's one I, I've listened to 50 times in my life, and it never gets better. It's like going on a roller coaster. <laughs> the older I get, the more I don't need it. <laughs> um, right, right, right. So that's that. Um, you could say things like back in the USSR. They're not political songs, but there's politics are involved. It's a satire of the American dream kind of you know, the Beach Boys, the Chuck Berry, but, you know, done through the lens of this, like, Soviet federalist socialism, they called it, which is really not socialism. But uh, that's what they called it. That's what you call it when dictatorship doesn't sound nice. And it's, it's, it always drives me, as a Jew, it drives me crazy when people are like, there, uh, Biden wants to turn the country to socialists like the Nazis. Your fucking guy's putting kids in cages. What's wrong with you? Do you understand what right. socialism means? Drives me absolutely crazy. No, that's the problem. Yeah, people. No, don't they know. don't. Um, so there's things like that, like piggies touches on you know society mm-hmm. with the haves, the haves nots. Piggies is a political song, sure. Yeah, piggies is definitely a political song. Um, I was gonna say Blackbird. Paul writing from the uh, writing a song. You know, bla- he, the story he always tells is, you know, I guess you know, slang at least in the '60s for women was birds. Right, you know, and your bird can sing. We, British we, thing. We've heard it before. The British thing. And Paul was um, singing to a young black woman, seeing the struggle for civil rights in the states. And to Paul's credit, he's with varying levels of success, which we'll get into. Paul's kept that up his entire career. It's one of the underrated things about Paul McCartney is that his music's always been a commitment to social justice. Yeah, man. And then we get into things like "Get Back," uh, the song which was kind of a, it was a comment on the whole British jobs for British workers, anti-immigration rhetoric. It was kind of, that's where it was kind of loosely based on. I I don't know if you've ever heard, I know you've heard this stuff, TJ. Um, The early kind of rehearsal versions where they're doing these satirical lyrics. Don't don't dig Uh, no Pakistanis. Don't dig no Pakistanis taking all the people's jobs. Oh, get back! Get back! This is the Beatles doing satire. Satire of the then, a little bit like today, the the fight for British nationalism that was occurring back then. It's the Beatles being satirical of the absurdity of that. Yeah. The Beatles, the same band who refused to perform in Jacksonville in, I think, 65, uh, when they found out the audience was going to be segregated. Yeah, they bring that up in uh, Eight Days a Week. They do a good job of bringing up the, those tours and how they just thought it was insane to separate the people. Well, their their heroes, their <laughs> heroes were black artists. Yeah, and that's just the thing. It's like when when I on occasion you hear people, well, the Stones stole from black music, the Beatles stole from black music. I don't think it's stealing when you come out and say this black music means so much to me that it's 
it's influenced who I am as a songwriter, which is what Paul, George, and John all said. George Harrison's got a song in the 70s called Pure Smokey, where he felt like he was taking the persona of Smokey Robinson to write a song. Half the early Beatles songs in the Hard Day's Night, you can't do that, tell me why, were John's attempt to write black girl group Motown songs. So I don't think it's stealing no. if you are consciously acknowledging the influence and the love you have and backing it up with your advocacy. That's not theft. I'm sorry. The Stones did the same thing. They went to Chess Records on a pilgrimage. I don't think the Stones stole from black artists. I think they took what was great about it, but forever acknowledging that it came from the black artists. Yep. Eric Burden, all those guys. Yeah. yeah. Let me let me ask you, what do you think? Because a lot of people always say that Elvis, you know, stole black music and I don't know. I so I tend to disagree with that. I I I am read up on the guy and I I do like the guy. I'm not talking about his politics. I'm talking about his music and his strangeness as a celebrity. Um but I I legitimately think that Elvis Presley when he was a a weird kid, he was this outcast kid that was an only child and kind of weird. I think that he was singing from his heart and singing the music that he liked. And it's the colonel, his manager, Colonel Tom Parker, is the guy who turned him into this other thing. You know, whether or not that's good or bad, it's both. <laughs> but uh, I think he's the one that um, did all the damage. I think Elvis was just a, a weird kid trying to dance and sing and felt it. I, I totally agree with you. I would say that Sun Records Elvis, you cannot argue at all with any of the black influence from him, and I don't believe it was theft. I think he then insulted black music when he recorded the album Moody Blue and came back and just did schlock and shtick and all the army stuff and, like, <laughs> fuck Elvis and Carl Whoa. Perkins over Elvis. <laughs> I guess. I mean, Carl had, like, four songs, but sure. Yeah, I like those four songs, but yeah. I, I, I know you're a big Elvis guy. We've said on the show before, the notion of being caught in a crap is a bridge too far for me if we we've Those all had the lyrics shit at various times but i'm caught in a crap he died in the toilet That's he the man right. died on a toilet are you you're like elvis you're cute on with elvis is that what he says <laughs> <laughs> but you know hey that's what you believe <laughs> i know you you, you I do know it, but you got to fight for the bit. Unlike QAnon, <laughs> I do know I'm wrong. <laughs> fair, fair. Well, on my Elvis podcast, I'm going to have you on my Elvis podcast, which I, I can't find anyone to do an Elvis podcast with me. But when I do my Elvis <laughs> podcast, we're going to bring you on. We're going to roast you. <laughs> oh, great. I'd love to see the Elvis podcast with a big Confederate flag and a big cheeseburger. And he's sitting in a chair with a gun and he's calling Nixon to tell him to deport John Lennon. You've changed. LA's changed you. I'll bet you're rooting for the Rams in tonight's Bears-Rams matchup. Go Dodgers, though. I, who knows? Uh, we'll find uh, out in yeah. a day or two. All right. So uh, next and last on my Beatles list of politically tinged songs, unless I'm forgetting one, is Come Together, which... The lyrics obviously are not political, but the chorus is, and I believe it was originally going to be a campaign song for Timothy Leary when he was running for governor yeah. of California. So that's that's why I included it. Yeah, and it's worthy of inclusion. I, I think it's not on my uh, overt political Beatles songs because Come Together to Me is in a category of like, you're right, the etymology of, of being at least inspired by the Timothy Leary uh, run 
is justifies it, but also Lady Madonna was kind of early for women's rights. Across the Universe was given to a World Wildlife Federation album, right, right. which a lot of other artists did, but it showed you take that in connection with Mother Nature's Son and Dear Prudence. Jealous Guy started as I'm just a child of nature. The whole Maharishi thing and embracing the environment. The Beatles were early environmental activists, which Paul McCartney in his whole late 80s tour uh, embodied and espoused it and promoted. So right. like, come together is on that list of like, in a little like Agnes Love, indirect political statements that show that their leanings are inherently leftist and and praiseworthy because for great causes, love the environment coming together, the whole thing. Yeah, and I would even actually now that I'm thinking about it, would include Bungalow Bill on that with his reference to the you know the American guy to Bungalow Bill himself who goes out shooting and uh, all American bullet headed Saxon mother's son Saxon or Saxon mother's son, yeah. Yeah, that that you know that's kind of like a basically calling somebody a Trumpy or whatever. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's 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 there's inherent satire in there. So moving on, there's so many solo songs that we yeah. we need to kind of pick and choose. And let's say we think that all those Beatles songs were legitimately great. All of them, possibly, I, and maybe with maybe Revolution Nine is an I get it. Revolution Nine is a definitive I get it. <laughs> However, I would say Carnival of Light is definitively great. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you're the one person who's heard that. Oh, I can't wait. In 1982, Mark Lewison invited me in to listen to the Barrett tape. I'm just conflating <laughs> the five people over. Jeff Emmerich sent me an eight track. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get into the solo stuff then, right? There's too many to mention all of them, especially like I, I will say and we can go chronologically, but Paul McCartney's weird off the ground era burst in activism is worthy of spotlighting because it's the first time McCartney dropped the F bomb in a song called Big Boys Bickering. It's a weird B side from off the ground where he sings Big Boys Bickering, fucking it up for everyone. Oh, I don't know that one. They're trying to win your money back. All of the taxes that you pay went to fund a masquerade. This is an album, it, it's like, it was a B-side. Uh, this is one, Tony, we got to get into Off the Ground, because this album, to me, was my sophomore year of college when everybody else was, and like, I, listen, I loved, at the time, Pavement and Dinosaur Jr. and Green Day, but everybody was listening to just those, and I was the guy saying, well, the new the new Mac, have you heard Get Out of My Way? I mean, <laughs> the, the new Mac album, like, uh, Kurt Cobain's fine, but have you heard the new McCartney album at age 45, whatever the hell he was? Right. This is in 93, yeah. 93. He had a ton of political songs on that particular album, and it's worthy of noting, Big Boy's Bickering, where he drops the F-bomb. Uh, Looking for Changes yeah. is a song, uh, you know, about animal cruelty. Yeah, about animal testing, yeah. Yes, I, I saw a monkey that was starting to choke. The The doctor there gave him cigarettes to smoke. Now, did you see him on that tour uh, around this time? 
I didn't see this tour. This this tour didn't stop in Chicago. I didn't see this tour. Because so that song, looking for changes. I guess he was inspired having seen a, a videotape of animal testing and how and it is. I'm you know if you see those things, it's it is awful and it does make it's you awful. reconsider like it's cruel. what you eat. But I guess in the concerts that year on that tour, he was actually including like a a version of that videotape of animal testing going on playing behind him while he did that song, you know, which is heavy. There's a terribly edited um, video that's now on DVD. I don't know if it's streaming called Paul is Live. It's the video companion to the live album that documents the tour in like weird early 90s MTV style where there's never a... Sh- it's like Blair Witch, but for a concert film <laughs> yeah, the, where yeah. the camera's never still oh, for fucking more vertigo than, like, camera. the fuck? What are you doing? Like, <laughs> I'd like to watch a Paul McCartney show, not need a goddamn drama me. Like, I'm so confused. Yeah, they started doing that. I remember like when Leno took over uh, the Tonight Show, like all the music guests had that stupid low-end Dutch angle, squirrely-ass <laughs> tilt-a-whirl camera going on. <laughs> I'm like, fuck you guys. Can, can we agree? You and I are both fuck you, Jay Leno guys, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. As as Letterman disciples, yeah. you know, the, the whole Jay thing. Crunch all you want, we'll make more. Well, howdy. Let me guess. You've been waiting for Cool Ranch flavored Doritos, and I can't say I blame you. <laughs> it's so great. The actor who played him. In the late shift movie, whoever, the guy who did the Jay Leno is my hero because it's so big and so bad and so perfect. You know what I'm talking about? Well, Mavis, yeah. I'm going to host it tonight. And it's Kathy like, Bates so is, uh, what was her name? Helen Shapiro, his, right? Helen Kushnick. But yeah, so I didn't see that tour, but to your point, yes, it was quite graphic. Another song called Come On People, which is kind of a, a plea to peace. It's just fascinating that in that era, he was really, really doing social activism in the early 90s. And again, it's something where Paul should get a lot of credit. But are there other um, are there solo moments that you look at as definitively great? Well, uh, we could talk about George Harrison's concert for Bangladesh in general. I think that is yeah, a, it's a, bi- it's a big one. A great idea. So none of the songs themselves are really about that, but the the cause is great, and it was kind of the first one to really do that, if I recall. The one of his mega concerts, and the song Bangladesh, not one of George's finest moments, I put in the I get it category, because right. the George, uh, the song Bangladesh isn't great George Harrison, but it's meaningful, and I respect it. And um, that whole concert that he organized, yeah, it, that was the first real, other than Woodstock, this was the first like super group concert. For charity. I mean, you, I think you have to include Imagine as being a great song. Well, here's what we're going to differ. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, let's. why don't we talk John songs? It goes back to the Plastic Ono Band album, Working Class Hero, God. Yes. Uh, it, it One could interpret Instant Karma 
as a political song. I suppose, yeah. It's maybe maybe more spiritual than political, but the call to arms of we all shine on is similar to what Imagine saying, certainly give peace a chance as political. I don't want to be a soldier. Give me some truth. Mm-hmm. Free to people. Well, well, well. He had a ton. And then, of course, the entirety of your favorite John Lennon album, <laughs> Sometime in New York City. No, see, right. We, we, we talked about uh, uh, the Lennon box set. To include Angela rather than the song New York City is unforgivable. <laughs> so is including the uh, the non-cheap trick take of I'm losing you was also kind of uh, uh, shitty. But, um, yeah, John... Up until basically Mind Games was super political. And I think all of it's definitively great. Is it fair to say that? No, I'm going to disagree with you on that. (laughs) Yeah, I think he had some. I think I think most people think this, don't you? That that whole Someday in New York City record was kind of clumsy. I'm not including that. That's parenthetical. I'm taking (laughs) Sometime in New York City out of the John Lennon political period. I think before Sometime in New York City, he was mostly great. I include Happy Christmas, War is Over on that, which is now a holiday anthem or whatever. (laughs) Holiday anthem. We're going to win this holiday. (laughs) (laughs) Look, you're going to go and face this holiday head on. (laughs) Yeah, man. We're going to win. We're going to beat the (laughs) non-believers. No, but uh, so my caveat on all those early Lennon, like 1970 through 71 Songs power is, to the people. Thank you. Power to the well. Power to the people is one I I I don't think it's good. Uh, it's not my favorite. I should say. Okay. And actually, Lennon later said that he was later embarrassed by it. He said, uh, or Hunter S. Thompson said that it was basically ten years too late. And I guess you know Bernie used it in his rallies. So, hooray! I don't know. <laughs> Tom Morello loves it. Tom, Mor- I've seen Tom Morello cover it, and that's pretty great. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I I give I give power to the people. I I'll t- I'll put it this way: power to the people over cold turkey a hundred percent of the time. I've always had a cold turkey oh, problem. That's where we oh that's where we disagree. I think <laughs> cold turkey is an anti song. I said that once before, but I I actually think it has more music than power to the people. I don't I I I officially okay. don't dig power to the people, but I'm gonna say yeah. it's an I get it. I'm gonna say it's an I get it. Okay, fair. Uh, yeah. Where do you put power to the people versus free to people? I prefer free to people. Okay. That's a that's a fun song. That one's great. It's a fun song. Yeah. In fact, that that actually that act that song which came out on Mind Games after the whole New York City thing, uh, it was written during that time, but didn't come out till Mind Games. But I almost think that just by putting out that one free to people song, bring on the Lucy, which I just learned was short for Lucifer. I never knew that. Is that great? Yeah, it's great. So it's a more um, universal message of just free the people and protest. And the lyrics are kind of satirical in that way. We don't care what flag you're waving, just free the people. You know, Mm -hmm. it's this kind of general. So I think that that song actually makes up for the entire sometime in New York City record for me. I thought you loved that record. (laughs) I thought that record is your Ram. No, no. Ram is my Ram. (laughs) (laughs) Talking about your Dodge truck. Yeah, I got a fucking Hemi. You want to fight? That new Hummer commercial where it's like, electric Hummer. And it's like, they're like, drive a thousand miles an hour through the desert. It's like, (laughs) you don't live there. You're going to be in a stuck in a Trader Joe's parking lot, dipshit. You live in the New Jersey suburbs, you fucking asshole. What's wrong with you? Fucking idiots. 
But uh, so, yeah, so Sometime in New York City is basically mostly political by design. The album cover looks like a newspaper. I think even at the time he was saying we're not even musicians, we're journalists, something like that. But the, it's clumsy. It falls flat. Uh, they do address some things like Attica State, you know, the prison riots where the, the prisoners just wanted to stop getting beaten up. They wanted somewhere clean to live uh, while they served time and a revolt happened. Uh, John Sinclair, this writer who got, you know, arrested for trying to forgiving two joints to an undercover cop. It's a great song. That's one of my favorite songs on the record. John Sinclair, the got to, yeah. got to, got to, got to, got to set us free. It's very, it's it's like a, it's a like Dylan-y with some Woody Guthrie-ish. Yeah. I like the slide guitar in it. Yeah. He's trying to do the Bill Withers with the got to, got to thing. Uh-huh. So I counted it, man, because I'm like, how many times does he say gotta? It's, and it's very John Lennon. Here you go. He does it four times through the whole song. The first two times, he says it 15 times. The third time, he says it 14 times. And then the last time, he hits it 15 times again. Very John Lennon. Well, I, I should tell you, I financed my child's college education to buy the original handwritten lyrics of John Sinclair. <laughs> <laughs> and I have a scotch tape <laughs> to my shower. <laughs> collector blues, man. Collector blues. <laughs> I got <a> collector blues. <laughs> uh, then we get, you know, Angela for Angela Davis. We get Sunday Bloody Sunday, which is about the whole Northern Ireland conflict uh, between, you know, Ireland wanting to be its own sovereign nation and other people wanting it to be part of the UK. And 14 people, 14 unarmed civilians killed. You know, uh, in January of '72, and that's yeah. that's an incident where we get two solo Beatles songs out of that. That's right, uh, Ringo uh, Sunday Bloody Sunday, and Ringo Starr singing <laughs> "Ooh Wee" from "Goodnight Vienna" really tackled. It. <laughs> I could not find a political Ringo song. Did I miss one? I have one. All right, we'll get to that. I've got Let's get one to that. with an asterisk. We'll get to. We'll get to that later, but. Uh, yeah, we got Luck of the Irish. Uh, that's the John Lennon version, which, you know, th- this is very clumsy because it's, you know, Yoko singing on it about sham- shamrocks and fucking leprechauns <laughs> Yoko, and stuff. Yoko, a big fan of McDonald's in March. <laughs> Yoko Ono, not many people know this, Yoko loved a good shamrock shake. Cynthia did not. Yoko Yoko really had a thing for Cynthia it. Cynthia was into McRibs. <laughs> Dude, Cynthia Lennon loved the McJordan when it came out. Yeah, the Canadian bacon. I had I had a Big Mac on the road, Tony. How was I don't it? eat that shit anymore. <laughs> I, I only explain it thusly. As a kid of the 70s and 80s who ate of his fair share of McDonald's, the first bite of a Big Mac is like, this is the greatest thing ever. Then the second bite, you go, oh, you know, not bad. The third, I got a pickle. The third bite, you go, something's not... Right. And then you look and your thumbs have special sauce on them for other reasons. And it, it the meat is gray. It is it's gray. gray. It's gray. Since you went, it's. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then you've got that extra slice of bread in the middle. What's that all about? Just terrible. Weird. To sop up the yuck. <laughs> it's yuck. I'm smearing them. Suck up the yuck. <laughs> 
Yeah. Oh, 80s jokes. Okay, so at any rate, fuck the Big Mac. I much. I had a Wendy's burger on the way home. Wendy's actually puts effort in. Flame broiled. I haven't had this many fast food burgers since the early 90s. That That's Burger, burger King's King. flame broiled. Yeah. You watch oh, well. your mouth. <laughs> Wendy's is never frozen, and we give the Republicans, but we also care about adopted kids. So hooray, <laughs> Wendy's. Um, but yeah, man, so... Uh, the, uh, that era of is probably John Lennon's most political, and I love that you brought up mind games. How uh, bringing the Lucy uh, slash free to people kind of gave John some politics with a breath of levity. It yeah. was time after some time in New York City. Yeah, and, and maybe he was trying to do that with Luck of the Irish, talking about rainbows and leprechauns and Blarney stones and all that. But it, it comes across <laughs> as like. The tricks rabbit saying like Black Lives Matter, <laughs> you know, which would be great. I'd love the tricks rabbit to say that. That would actually be really great. But I don't think that's what we would like lean with as like the powerful political. It, <laughs> is the is the Duracell battery banging a drum that says Black Lives Matter? It should okay. Let's start that. I, I I'm into it. I'm just surprised. <laughs> Uh, but then, so then McCartney does a song too. So, right. So January 30th, 1972, the Sunday, bloody Sunday. And two days later, McCartney's in the studio recording his take on that incident called Give Ireland Back to the Irish, which is the first Wings single. Is that, I, I think that's, I think that's right. Yeah. It, I think, yes, because there was no single released from Wildlife. They had um, Love is Strange in the queue, but they never released it because yes, this thing right. happened, I think. In the queue, where we go one, we go all. What, was that your secret <laughs> message? <laughs> <laughs> yup. Those, yep. those fucking idiots. Here's a picture of your savior with Jeffrey Epstein. Wow. Uh, he must be really be in on it. You fucking fools. <laughs> we are sponsored by Q, though. I think we do we have the commercial lined up. OK, we're just we'll be right back after this message from Q. <laughs> No, we won't. Never. No, never. Fuck you. Hey. Fuck you. I'm not making a hashtag Faustian bargain for any amount of money. Uh, I will watch damn Yankees every once in a while. I see you, Gwen Verdon. What were we? Oh, yeah. So. Were you talking about Ted Nugent's band? Ted Nugent, Gwen Verdon, Ringo Starr's all-star band. <laughs> Imagine, oh, they went right from catch, Cat Scratch Fever to whatever Lola wants with Ringo on drums and Sheila E. in the backstage pumping a fist. So uh, Give Ireland Back to the Irish is, is an interesting Paul McCartney song, uh, a bonus for many years on the Wildlife CD. And uh, featured on the deluxe edition of Wildlife. But one of my favorite things about Give Ireland Back to the Irish, I mean, uh, it's got bad lyrics, first of all. It's it's one of Paul's bad lyrical songs. This is in I get it category. Yeah. Great Britain, you are tremendous. You know, like there's, it's not a, a it's, it's a, the sentiment is right. And this comes back to haunt Paul a lot. I see you, freedom. We're going to get to you. <laughs> Where Paul's songs are well-intentioned and not always the most thought out lyrically. So I give him credit for it. But the B side is one of my favorite B sides in the entire solo Beatles canon. It's called give Ireland back to the Irish parentheses version version. <laughs> Paul was really into reggae. Yeah. And I guess a lot of right re reggae B sides just had instrumental versions of it. Yeah. So he called this version, but it has the silliest guitar noodling I've ever Heard. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it 
It's so silly. It's great. It's and he ridiculous. also he mixed it so that he took all the high end off of it because totally. he was going for that lo-fi reggae thing, man. It even starts. It's like it's like half volume lower. And he also did that uh, so that DJs, if they didn't want to play the political A side and had to play the B side, would have to at least say the title of the song, which was Give Ireland Back to the Irish. It was a strategic maneuver on his part as well. All right. That's Stairway to Heaven from Zeppelin Four, And that's uh, the song is over from Who's Next. And now here's Give Ireland Back to the Irish version. <laughs> 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 It's always made me laugh so much because I've got an original copy of the 45 that has um, little clovers on it, which is kind of neat. Oh, right. Instead of the Apple logo. Instead of the Apple logo. Uh, A little trivia for you. There was so much uh, backlash. The next song he released as a single went in the opposite direction. It was a cover of Mary Had a Little Lamb. Right. That is exquisitely sung and produced, but like just very Paul, right? Like here's Give Ireland to the Irish. Here's Mary Had a Little Lamb. This is, this is a weird time for McCartney, 72. <laughs> Figuring a lot of stuff out. But it's cool that John and Paul both had songs about the trouble in Ireland. Yeah. Oh, you got trouble, my friend. <laughs> All right, here's a trouble right here in Mercy City with a capital D. There's a P that does Shapoopy. Let's just do the music, man. <laughs> the Beatles of- connection till there was you was from the music, man. Yeah, you're right. I forgot all about that. Their favorite American group, Sophie Tucker. So um, Sophie Tucker. <laughs> one more bit of trivia about Give Ireland Back to the Irish. So the guitarist on that was from Northern Ireland. His name, Henry McCullough. And his brother, Samuel McCullough, when this song came out, he got beaten up in a London pub over this song because he was the guitarist's brother. But while he's beating up, the, the jukebox was playing the version with. What a way to get your ass kicked with with Give Ireland Back to the Irish parentheses version playing. Version. I do prefer that version. I do prefer it. Me, me too. Right. Me too. Yeah, it's fun. Well, then, um, I mean, the next thing I've got, we go, we get into the '80s with uh, George Harrison's "Save the World" in 1981. Yeah, and in fact, Save the World from Somewhere in England uh, is a definite political song. He refers to the rape of the planet, which is ballsy in 81 to do that. Yeah, it's a funny little song, huh? Yeah, kind of upbeat, kind of that Caribbean bass line. It's a weird little song. It's got like a Monty Python vibe. Yes, it's got a Monty Python vibe. I had that same thought. It's got that kind of jaunty, almost sarcastic, but the lyrics are, are quite pointed. And George actually had a bunch of political songs even before then. I think Isn't It a Pity is political. 
Huh. I think, isn't it a pity? Has political overtures to it. Uh, living in the material world, give me love. These could be called political. These show where George Harrison's heart is. Living in the material world is a commentary. I've always loved the line, John and Paul in the material world, alluding to John Lennon and, and Paul McCartney. Oh, yeah, I do like that. It's a great line. The 80s were a big time. Save the world, Devil's Radio, Blood from a Clone. Uh, in the 70s, he had this song in response to his lawsuit for My Sweet Lord. That might not be political, but it is bitter, and it kind of comments on the record industry and on publishing. So George's commentary songs, there's a lot of them. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's it's almost like inner politics sometimes at times, right? Yeah. Like the, the politics of the business, of the music business and things like that. Like this note's for you and that kind of a thing. Yeah. Which is Neil Young, I know. I was just... That was an example. <laughs> well, the, the the politics of dancing. <laughs> what? <laughs> There's some 80s song that goes like this. The politics of dancing. And I don't know who sang it. The politics of dancing. Uh, who's saying the politics of dancing? Call us up right now yeah. on the Untitled Beatles podcast. 1-800-UNTITLED-BEATLES. That's one 800 Seventeenth caller gets a <laughs> 45 copy of Paul McCartney's Freedom Radio edit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 9-11 colored vinyl. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get into freedom momentarily. But to follow up on George, yeah, the other one, one of the last songs he ever released, one of the last songs in the Brainwashed album is called brainwashed brainwashed by the media brainwashed by the press it's an interesting kind of commentary he did this on devil's radio as well on cloud nine but uh the george felt as if he was being you know that we were all being manipulated and in fact all things must pass the reissue uh they changed the album cover in 2001 george supervised a reissue just before he died and excuse me, it might have been 2000. You know, you listen to this podcast, you know, my years are always give or take a year when I cite things. We're nerds, not scholars. Right. I mean, everybody knows I want to hold your hand came out in 1957. So there's certain things we can. We yeah. With the, the, to promote the Chevrolet. Right. <laughs> Everyone knows that. <laughs> Beatles drove Chevys. I know that. You know, oh, I remember those old Beatles Chevy commercials. <laughs> <laughs> it was the Beatles who wrote the line, drove my Chevy to the levee, but Morris Levy was dry, so I'm going to release rock and roll myself. See how I pulled it all together? Um, <laughs> that's, called a, that's called a Beatle head twister right, right about there. Yeah, man. I love it. Um, <laughs> but you were saying in, uh, George was uh, remastering records uh, around the turn of the century, around Y2K. And... The All Things Must Pass cover shows it takes the black and white kind of beautiful, I think it's at Friar Park, the beautiful kind of, there's the the um, the, the bench George is sitting on, and it becomes, there's highways and smokestacks and smoke billowing out of it. So the reissue of All Things Must Pass showed a world that in, what, 30 years later had already declined precipitously from the album's release. So George was making a political commentary about the environment and about where life was going, even in his album cover of his most seminal album. Yeah, man. Sometimes it makes me think, I, I wonder if George, if he were still kicking, would just be so miserable with the, the way the world is now where we're all just staring at our phones and 
we're all these kind of human mirrors, these brand versions of ourselves walking around like, I'm always happy. This is my life. Look how happy I am. And it's just like, I'd love, I would love to have heard what George's take would have been on that to cut through all the bullshit, you know? Tony, I actually think the world would be a better place if John and George were still alive. I really do. I think there'd be another unifying factor in the world if those guys were still with us because they brought so much peace and so much joy to so many people, irrespective of politics. One of my very best friends who listens to this podcast, a, a loyal podcast listener. I'm going to shout out my buddy, Brad right now. Who's a diehard listener. Hi, Brad. Uh, Brad mentioned, uh, we listened to the, the Lennon podcast that I have weaponized the Beatles from my, <laughs> my, my, my political rant that you can't be a Trump voter and understand the Beatles. But there is an element, uh, however kind of partisan hackery that point may be, there's an element of truth that you can't stand for everything that is antithetical to what the Beatles stood for and claim to understand their music. You can like it, you can tap your feet to it, but you can't be as invested in the Beatles on an intellectual and an emotional level uh, if you if you say believe Donald Trump's um, policies are good, yeah, yeah, man. Well, do you want to get into freedom? <laughs> this is on. I got because it's Paul. I got to give him, and I get it. But freedom, which he wrote, he was sitting on the tarmac. Um, I think with his then wife, um, uh, Heather. Yeah, Heather Mills would have been this time at LaGuardia. And watch the towers fall, or at least was aware of what was happening. I think oh, they I were no in idea. New York at the time. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they're game. It was just one of those crazy aspects of of timing. Um, and he wrote the song pretty soon after they performed it at the concert for New York, which of course was a, a beautiful event that Paul helped produce. That gave the world Adam Sandler singing parody songs about bin Laden that some people were like, this is my generation's the producers. And I was like, well, your generation <laughs> can suck a dong because I like, yeah, I like Adam Sandler. And then Sandler tried it. Cause he was opera man about, uh, you remember like oh, singing F you right. to bin Laden. I and then he did, and it was that. kind of effective. It, it wasn't bad, but then he did it again, like cursing out Hurricane Katrina four years later. And it's like a hurricane's not evil. <laughs> like I'm, I'm aware of the destruction. I'm aware of Bush's bungling of it. But like you can't be mad at a hurricane the way you can be mad at Bin Laden. You know, I was like, come on, Adam Sandler. It, yeah, it's different. Turns out. But so freedom is equally uh, banal and admirable. Where are you with freedom? I mean, as a general concept. <laughs> well, I like freedom. I hope we still have it by the time this airs. I'm being hyperbolic. It'll, it will, we still have it for another couple months, <laughs> depending <laughs> right. on the way things go. But yeah, okay. So to me, this song, Freedom, Paul McCartney, 2001. It uh, it's it's as close as he ever got to that new country that was happening at that time. I don't know if you remember a song by Daryl Worley called "Have You Forgotten." No. How does it go? Freeze. Sing it. <laughs> I will say this: He rhymes "Have You Forgotten" with "Bin Laden," oh, and no, uh, no, no. if it were up to him, he would show the nine eleven footage every day. <laughs> so. All That's right. a lyric in the song. And you say we shouldn't worry about Bin Laden. Have you forgotten? So it's not that bad, meaning McCartney's freedom song. It's 
definitely more positive. Talking about It's, yeah, it's what it is. It's Paul McCartney himself said it in I don't know when the seventies or whatever around. I think it was around the time of Luck of the Irish. But he was like, protest songs are hard to write. It's much easier to write songs about love. It's universal. Um, yeah, political songs are hard. They're really hard to pull off. Uh, you know, there's a you know uh, Sam Cooke, a change is going to come. Nina Simone. Mississippi, goddamn. Uh, even like uh, Commander in Chief that just came out recently, Demi Lovato, Childish Gambino, This Is America. Like, Great. there's uh, it's still going on. It's still going on. Uh, they are hard songs to fucking write. I'm not a huge CSN guy, but Crosby's Nash and Young's Ohio is pretty seminal. And Neil Young, yeah. Rocking in the Free World. Neil Young's career is. Di- and I love that Neil Young and McCartney are tight. I think it's super cool. And Neil Young's career is dotted with these protest songs. Yeah. He, he had a song in 05 that was literally called Impeach the President on an album called Living Living with War. That is not a great Neil Young album. But again, like there are people who fashion uh, Bob Dylan. OK, this yeah. is a great sidetrack here for a second. Well, great is within the eye of the beholder. <laughs> but was Bob Dylan inherently political or do we interpret Bob Dylan as being political? Well, he started off political. Right. And that was he was a kid and it was folk music and. You know, that's what you're feeling. He's those kids marching on the streets right now. You know, he was doing it. What about Lionel Richie? (laughs) (laughs) Well, he was marching on the ceiling. (laughs) I only brought it up as an excuse to show you I can play easy on piano. I'm out. That's the Antenna Beatles podcast, folks. Tony, take it away with Ringo's songs. Let's speak about Ringo. Before we get into Ringo, a couple more Paul things we have to mention, because if Freedom gets an I get it, you got to give Ebony and Ivory I get it, because Ebony and Ivory is one of the biggest selling singles of all time. Nobody ever wants to hear it. And it has two of the most prolific songwriters in the history of music, Paul McCartney and Stevie Wonder. Yeah. But that's a political song, right? Yeah. That's about, it's about racial harmony. Yeah, it's about the harmony. The intention's good. The execution is really difficult. Yeah. It's, it's a hard one. It's, yeah, it's perhaps over the top with the, with it's, it's saturated in sap. But its intentions are good. And it's it's basically it's talking about the, the keys on a piano and you need white keys and you need black keys in order to create harmony. Unless you're in the key of C. But let's not mention that. <laughs> well, and you hate a C minor seven. Oh, if you're in the key of C and you hate a C minor seven, you're definitely racist. I like a C major seven. There's just something different about a C minor seven. I don't know. You tell me. That's uh, that's perfect. Exactly. Exactly. No, that's hilarious. <laughs> Uh, Uh, So a couple other McCartney political ones. How many people from Flowers in the Dirt was written about the Brazilian rainforest, um, which is a a good one. And there's a weird one, Tony. I don't even know if you've heard this. I only know this because I was so geeked out in like 89 and 90. McCartney did like an old folk song on tour in Italy and a few other places called All My Trials. If religion was a thing that money could buy, well, the rich would live and the poor would die. They did it like in sound checks and they released as a single in the UK. It's the only album it's available on is tripping the live. Fantastic highlights. The single disc album that was made 
And in fact, record clubs, Columbia House printed that shit on vinyl up through the early 90s. Like oh, wow. I've, I've got a Col- weird Columbia House copy that I was, I was so fascinated ask. by. <laughs> yeah, I, I was so excited because you, it, it wasn't even on the the bulging Tripping the Life Fantastic album, which has like 79 songs on yeah, it. Yeah, it does. Um, but that's an interesting one. That's Paul getting a little bit political. But the last one, the most recent one, is one I listened to again today from Egypt Station, d- despite repeated warnings, which is kind of, it's an anti-Trump song using yeah. metaphors uh, of a ship's captain who doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. And it's well-intentioned, and I love you, Paul, but it gets zero fabs. <laughs> yeah, well, it's seven minutes long. <laughs> It worked for Hey Jude. Paul. <laughs> right, this is right. not Hey Jude, my man. Yeah. Hey Trump. Hey Dude. It's, hey Dude. Right. Yesterday. Please yeah. welcome the Capitol Steps. Hey Trump. <laughs> go take a dub. We are the Capitol Steps, folks. Oh, look at them. <laughs> Hopping around in that counterclockwise <laughs> circle. <laughs> Oh, God. Yep. The capital stamps. Uh, Right. Right. So, right. That's I mean, that's what we're trying. Like, that's the hard part about doing art with a message. It's like you sometimes become the capital steps and it's like, okay, you know, it's it's easy to fall on your face, man. It's easy to fall on your face. And I know we didn't rate all of them. Like, I would say, you know, I would I would give those Irish songs that uh, both John and Paul did. Like, I get it. Maybe zero, you know, somewhere in between. Uh, buddy, we're both giving uh, version definitely great. Oh, yeah. Version. I'm going to speak for you. Yeah. Version is a definitely great. That flute got really political. <laughs> it was touching all the notes in uh, in an attempt for inclusivity. Um <laughs> Now you mentioned there's a I could not find a Ringo song. I also was not willing to go through all four thousand Ringo solo albums to try to find one. But uh, you found a Ringo political song. Uh, there's a great one that's subtle. It's called "Lipstick Traces on a Cigarette" from the Bad Boy album. <laughs> <laughs> Do I play the? No, here's uh, here's the only political Ringo song I could find. It is on the 1994 reissue of Stop and Smell the Roses on CD <laughs> on the Capital Offshoot label, The Right Stuff. It <laughs> fell out of print eight minutes after it was sent to record stores. And it's bonus tracks of Ringo doing promos that he and Harry Nielsen did to ban handguns. Wow. Wait, so these aren't songs. So these are promos. These yeah. are promos. They're promos. <laughs> Hi, Harry, Una, Ben, Bo, Billy, Bobby, Bibby. All love from Bob and Ring. I hope these messages can help you in your fight against violence in the streets. Hi, Ringo here, announcing that National End Handgun Violence Week, October the 25th to the 31st, is having a rally in your city. Won't you please join us? Thank you. How long? I can't hear you. Ten seconds. Okay. I mean, 10 seconds is fine if it's good. Oh, that's great. Well, how are they? How are the promos? Are they good? <laughs> I'm miserable. It's Grumpy Ringo in 81. Sad that John was killed. I mean, oh, it's... it's... They're bu- oh, God, they're bummers. We tried to make them as uh, straight, sincere, and to the point as we could. Not too much comedy because it's not a funny situation. Yeah, they, they date back to uh, the campaign to uh, ban handguns. 
which is notable. They're great. It's Ringo just kind of reading a script about about guns. Um, but that's the only Ringo I could find. I mean, one could argue, even though Yellow Submarine was written by John with Paul, Yellow Submarine promotes socialism. <laughs> Octopus's Garden, right? I mean, and, and I say this as somebody who's got socialist tendencies. So just like we all live in a yellow submarine is socialist. Right? <laughs> Isn't it? Kind I mean, of? I mean, sure. You know what else is socialist? Ice cream, you scream, we all scream for ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> That's socialist. Where's that communist? Because <laughs> they're in line for the ice cream. But that's that's uh, how long is the line, and is there also toilet paper available? <laughs> well, can't you see, folks? We've been going for a while. Uh, we're going to record the next show. I don't know if we record it right before the election, so we have one more we're going to record without knowing what the hell state the country's in. Maybe, maybe we we have to talk scheduling. I'm out of town up until all that so we'll, we'll figure it out yeah check it out hoss i quit <laughs> we we gotta figure out this fucking money situation because i'll fucking kill so what are we oh we're still on we're next still on. up on ringo's bad boy um well whenever we're back folks uh this has been our deep dive into the beatles as uh, can we just button this up by saying whatever your political beliefs if i've offended you you're probably not listening the beatles were and are liberal and have a bent towards socialism and might have disliked paying unfair taxes, but on every other level, check out as absolute progressives. And to really understand Beatles music, your heart and your head need to be open. And that's how you really learn to love the Beatles. TJ, don't use sex as a weapon. Well, there goes my next act. <laughs> show us your dong. Show us your dong. Show us your dong. Show us your dong. Sex as a weapon. All right. We're the Untitled Beatles podcast. On behalf of Tony Bad Boy Mendoza, I'm the Shandog. <laughs> Fuck with you later. Untitled Beatles podcast. Like and subscribe. <laughs>